0: Welcome to the Cutting Edge, a podcast series powered by Edge Growth, expert solutionist in enterprise and supply development, SME development and impact investing in South Africa. Hi and welcome back to the Cutting Edge Podcast. My name is Nabila Valley and today we're chatting about access to market. We're joined by Trevor Naidu, the founder and director of ProcureSense. And um, yeah, let's get into the conversation. Welcome, Trevor.
1: Uh, thank you for having me on the show.
0: So Trevor, we're obviously here to chat about access to market. But before we get into it, I want to know a little bit about you. Um, obviously, you were born and then you're here on the chair. What's the story in between?
1: Yeah, so born and bred in Durban, um, grew up in a township, um, studied engineering. And then one of the, the biggest things that one of my lecturers said to me was with engineering, you could effectively work in any industry, and so I sought out to do that. So during my corporate career, I've worked in multiple industries, um, looked at supply chain work and optimization, and that led me to procurement. And I worked in procurement for a period of time, and thereafter I went into social impact investing, and um, and then I started ProcureSense.
0: Great, and and so you obviously your business, ProcureSense, is, is centered around procurement, right? which is an element of, of access to market. But before we get into that, I just want to touch around this point around access to market. <clears throat> we know that the three main challenges any SME faces is access to skills, which is customized and relevant for their business, access to finance, which is understanding and not competing with conventional funding, and then access to market or access to revenue. But Can you shed some light on why is access to market important and what is it actually?
1: Yeah, sure. So why is access to market important? I think it's a term that's been used. I think let's uh, perhaps move beyond compliance. So why is access to market important for the country? Um, And when you look at it, access to market is important for the country because when you look at it from an economic stimulation point of view, So we are well aware that South Africa has uh, an unemployment problem. Uh, Research also shows that across any economy in the world, small businesses are the largest job creators. Mm -hmm. So if we want to solve that problem um, and we want to create jobs, we need to create sustainable small businesses that are not just surviving but also growing. Mm -hmm. To your point earlier, three of the major barriers around this is access to market, access to finance, and then upskilling of entrepreneurs. I would argue that access to market is the most important. Um, and the reason is, if you even look around the world, you have Silicon Valley businesses that are funded. Um, they're capacitated. And yet, two or three years later, they, they yeah. tank. They're not in existence. Sure. And it's because they haven't solved this thing called access to market. Mm-hmm. So in the context of South Africa, access to market becomes extremely important from um, a job creation point of view. Mm-hmm. right? So if we understand why is access to market important, Um, It's important, one of the reasons is stimulating the economy, um, creating innovation within our economy, and the third reason is to also create jobs. So that's why access to market is important. So what is actually access to market? Because it's a term that's been used, um, and I think it's been used loosely. In the context of our conversation, access to market um, is really providing or enabling small businesses to participate within um, the economy and there's various ways in which we can do that, right? So participating mean how does, how does a small business um, get contracts? How do they get opportunities uh, that they can convert into contracts? How do they actually impact their top line, meaning their revenue? Yeah. So access mar- to market boils down to how do we create more opportunities for small businesses to increase their top line, either via contracts or selling more products or services? Which is also
0: around how do we help um, SMEs become more sustainable in the, ro- in the long run, because access to market is not only one contract, one opportunity, it's actually long-term diversified revenue for these SMEs. Yeah, 100%. Right.
1: So uh, once you solve the initial problem of access to market as a small business, yeah. um, the next risk you sit with is concentration risk. Yeah. So a lot of small businesses will place all of their emphasis on one client, mm. uh, and they push all of their resources, et cetera, And the risk that they face is that if they do not diversify at the end of that contract, they end up in the same situation that they did before they started with that. So diversification in access to market is also important. Mm -hmm. It's not just important for the small business, but it's important for um, the clients that the business is dealing with because it also de-risks them as well. So if they're dealing with a very strategic piece of work Mm -hmm. uh, and a Um, Their client is their majority client. If that business tanks, and we've seen it with COVID, it creates supply chain risk for the client that they're working with. So it's important on both sides.
0: So the lens of access to market is important on both sides. I hear that, but maybe let's talk around where is access to market actually created? Because there's a number of avenues where you can say that access to market is created. But for the context of this conversation, and specifically based on what you do, where is access to market created for SMEs?
1: Cool. So if we've established that access to market is pivotal mm. from uh, a stimulation of our economy, from innovating within our, within our economy, and to create jobs, yeah. we then need to find out like where is the access to market. Um, there's multiple research that shows that in South Africa, and this ratio is similar across the world, that corporate South Africa spends three times more than the government. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we want to enable access to market, the way is actually in corporate South Africa, um, not government. Mm-hmm. So that's the way.
0: And that's, and and it's created through um, various policies, legislations. But ideally, it's the buying of goods and services from the corporate in in the market, right? 100%. And, and so, if we talk about um, what the current landscape is, uh, you know, in terms of access to market, but also procurement in, in corporate South Africa. Yeah. Well, can you shed some light on that?
1: Sure. So from our research, what we found is that corporate South Africa in general, less than 10% of their purchasing of goods or services is with small businesses in South Africa. Mm. And so therein lies, you can see where the problem lies, right? So yeah. if, if we understand job creation, it's with small businesses.
0: And corporates are spending three times more than government, but yet only 10% of their spend is with SMEs. Right. So how
1: yeah. do we stimulate the economy? We need to move from 10% much higher. Mm. Um, but there's some there's some challenges, right? So sure. we've had legislation that's been supporting this for a number of years. So then the question is, okay, if we know that this is a critical area for economic growth, for stimulation, innovation, job creation, why is it still sitting at 10%? Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and to to understand that I'll give you a a sort of a metaphor, right? Conventional procurement, mm-hmm. so traditional conventional procurement best practice yeah. stipulates that you need to consolidate and rationalize your supplier base number one and rationalize your spend mm. so in layman's terms it says uh, spend with less suppliers but spend more with less supplies yeah so what ends up happening is their systems processes are, and structures are geared towards dealing generally big business deals with big business yeah so how does that play out right if you take an example of stationery, mm-hmm. they would rationalize the spend for their entire function, um, and then they would deal with one big stationery supplier. Sure. Okay? So that's procurement best practice from a conventional perspective. Um, and you must also remember the function of procurement traditionally is to mitigate the risk of an organization and to ensure that proper governance is put into place, mm-hmm. especially for publicly listed companies, et cetera. Yeah. Okay? So that's procurement best practice. What do we need in our economy, right? So from an economic point of view, we actually need our economy to be stimulated. And we know that job creation happens to small businesses. So we have legislation that is supporting the unbundling of spend, right? So localize your spend, don't spend with one big brother, rather find suppliers that are closer to your area of operation and spend with them. Mm -hmm. And so on the face of it, right, what our legislation and our economy is asking for almost seems like it's in complete contradiction and opposition to, to what best procurement practice. best practice is. Mm-hmm. So it's seen as oil as oil and water, okay. the two don't mix.
2: Sure.
1: Right. So that's from a conventional procurement perspective, which yeah. most corporates are actually set up to do because yeah. their primary function is risk mitigation and ensuring governance is taking place. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is, even for organizations that are pro-small businesses. Their structure within the organization And their policy. And their policy does not enable them to actually go about doing it. Um, And so what ends up happening, you have suppliers that are introduced, small businesses, disruptive, innovative businesses. But when you look at the procurement process, one of the first gates of procurement is to understand, is their compliance met? Mm-hmm. And that is in the form of: Do you have your ISO nine thousand and one? Do you have uh, specific documents, etc.? And a lot of small businesses don't have that, so they don't even get to pricing, right? Oh,
0: so they fall off. At they the fall
1: first off at gate. the first gate, okay. right? If they actually are allowed within the first gate, okay. right? So we can talk about why most most small businesses struggle to even get into procurement opportunities within a corporate we can leave that for later
0: yeah so so if we dig deeper on that point we're saying that most most businesses or most small businesses are not making it through the first or, or second gate if if anything but there is a need for us to look at why, firstly, and secondly, is there anything that corporates are doing to help, um, to help these SMEs move through these gates? Now, the starting point of this is preferential procurement, and I want to touch a little bit on preferential procurement and what it is, um, what it entails, but also how does it Tie into enterprise and supply development in actually um, helping the challenge, or helping overcome the challenge that you've pointed out now. So, sure. um, in your opinion, what is you know preferential procurement and, and how does it help?
1: Sure. So I, I think to answer that question, I think let's let's borrow from Stephen Covey, where he says, let's begin with the end in mind.
2: Yeah.
1: So, what is the end in mind for ESD? Mm-hmm. Right. So the end in mind is for a supplier or a group of suppliers to be inculcated into your supply chain and getting more contracts and doing more business, mm. okay? And the support structures from a legislation to do that is enterprise development and supply development. Right. So in an ideal scenario, you should be thinking about, or an organization should be thinking about, what are the areas within my value chain or supply chain mm-hmm. that needs transformation and disruption and innovation? Yeah. And understanding that and then leveraging of enterprise development and supply development um, initiatives to build and capacitate supplies for their for their future supply chain.
2: Sure. So
1: that's how it should ideally work. Mm-hmm. What What happens, not in all instances, is that these things are looked at in silos. So you'll have um, an organization or someone within an organization that looks at enterprise development, yeah. and then someone that looks at supply development, and then someone else who's in charge of preferential procurement. Yeah. And these. Uh, within these functions, they work within silos, mm-hmm. but the actual intent is for it to work in an integrated, cohesive manner to create value—not just for the SMEs, yeah. not for just for our economy, but if you do it in the right way, the corporate actually gets benefit beyond compliance.
0: Sure, and and so if you if we had to stay on this point a little bit, and we 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 see a lot of the times that these SMEs who fall through um, actually. Going on to an ED program an SD program, but being able to then um, enjoy in access to market or contract opportunities, right? Mm. What does that, um, from a corporate perspective, what does that look like? If you can, you know, maybe elaborate through an example sure. on how these 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 elements align and come together.
1: Okay, sure. So I, I think to help answer that question, I'll paint the picture of what what has happened in the past when it yeah. comes to ED, SD, and preferential procurement is. From a procurement perspective,
2: yeah.
1: um, remember, their objective is to mitigate risk and ensure governance takes place. So the opportunities that they would normally find for ED and SD initiatives historically um, was what I call pots and pans and beads and bangles opportunities, yeah. right? So opportunities that are not strategic or tactical in nature for mm-hmm. the organisation supply chain. And so what ends up happening is that programs are being run for stationary service providers sure. and uh, a supplier that provides them with paper.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, when we look at it, so you'll get compliance, yeah. for sure, right? But you're not getting a return on investment from a corporate perspective. Um, and you're not getting innovation because these are highly commoditized pieces of uh, of spend. Yeah. So that's what's traditionally happened. Why has it happened, right, is there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, procurement functions are set up to do conventional procurement. Mm-hmm right so structurally they're not set up to enable disruptive businesses to come into their organization even though they may say they do it's very difficult because their processes and policies and strategy is not geared up for that so that's the first problem right that needs to be addressed the second thing is that even if you set up your operating model to move from a transactional procurement perspective mm-hmm. or well,
0: kind of operational and tactical, because that's yes. how they operate right? So right? Yeah. right so that's generally how it works
1: so to move from operational and tactical you need to redesign your operating model to be more strategic and to think value chain perspective sure. right it's not easy but it can be done mm-hmm. that's the first problem that needs to be solved even when you do that though if you don't have information to support you yeah right it's like you're effectively trying to throw darts in the dark.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so data becomes essential in how you actually design your operating model. Sure. And so that leads me to the second problem that corporates generally face is they have ERP systems, mm-hmm. they have data, but yeah. they do not have information. Okay. right? And so at best, with their ERP systems, what they can answer is, what happened?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And at best, they can say, why did it happen? Yeah. For you to move from a Tactical procurement perspective, you need to be asking the question or answering the question of um, how can we make this happen, yeah. right? So you, it's a future. It's be, it moves it's beyond predictive. Yeah, yeah, it moves beyond predictive. It's forward-looking. Is like how can we use the information that we have mm-hmm. to determine and pa- map a path for us to make certain things happen? Mm-hmm. And because procurement functions and supply chain functions don't have the ability to do that. Um, Uh, it becomes very difficult and that's why we have traditionally seen pots and pans and beads and bangles kind of initiatives taking place
2: yeah
1: and so so that's the second thing because when you when you have the ability to look forward Mm -hmm. and say how do we make this happen you can start answering questions like this is how we're going to localize spend yeah that is sitting with a company in europe and And these are
0: in key commodity areas yes it's in
1: key it it allows you to move from commoditize spend Um, areas Mm -hmm. to more tactical and strategic things yeah and when you couple that and so so the question is why do they not do that right you you have to have a view beyond your value chain
2: yeah
1: so you have to have a view beyond your corporate supply chain and you have to complement what you have in terms of information with market information Mm -hmm. and that requires a different type of expertise and it requires a lot of data cleaning and big data analytics for you to do that, because then you're looking across your value, yeah. uh, your value chain.
0: Sure, and, and I think that actually then bridges the gap more intelligently between what you're trying to do um, in enterprise and supply development, and it brings to life preferential procurement, ED and SD in a more sustainable manner, right? 100%, yeah. um, what I want to What I want to get a sense of, though, is where, um, you know, where corporates have done it well. Yeah. And, and obviously you've been involved in those. Can you give us some form of, of examples where it's been done well and what it's resulted in?
1: Sure. So by applying some of these principles that I'm speaking about, we've helped some of our corporate partners um, to effect massive change. Yeah. So in the last five years, we've helped corporates to shift 5 billion rand of mm-hmm. corporate South African procurement spend to small and local businesses across South Africa.
0: These are black-owned SMEs getting access to market opportunities.
1: 100%. Black-owned, black-woman-owned SMEs. Yeah. Um, by And how we did it was helping our corporate partners restructure their operating model yeah. from a transactional procurement perspective to a value chain perspective. Okay. That was the first thing. The second thing was that we then went and did deep, big data analytics to understand where the opportunities beyond beads and bangles. Yeah. Um, and how does you know, how, do, how, do, can we, we can, how can we disrupt that vertical within their value chain, Yeah. right? So it requires an organization to almost say to themselves, we want to disrupt ourselves. Mm-hmm. And one of the areas in which we want to disrupt ourselves is through our value chain.
0: So it's almost a change in mindset. It
1: right? is required. Yeah. So part of what is required, I'm talking about opera, operating model, we're talking about data analytics, a massive portion of it, all of those things are well and good. If there isn't a mindset change within the organization, these things will fall flat. So another key element is that we're moving beyond compliance, right? So you you cannot do this by having a compliance lens. You have to do this from having a value lens. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we shift 5 billion rand um, across South Africa with our corporate partners. But just as importantly, in doing that, We've helped corporate South Africa to save a billion rand off their procurement spend.
0: This is actual saving. Actual right?
1: savings over the five-year period. Okay. All right. So that's moving beyond compliance. It's value perspective.
0: And it actually creates dual value. So you're saying corporates, okay, we're shifting spend, but at the same time we're saving money, yes. right? And in a post-COVID world, that becomes very important. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, so it becomes important for so many reasons, right? Because corporates now need to reorientate how they think about their value chains yeah. and it's localization is becoming important sure. so they almost need disruptive innovative su- solutions within different verticals of their supply chain mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. traditionally do not find that with big businesses as they set in their ways yeah they've and big businesses as in being big suppliers to them yeah where the disruption and the innovation takes place is with the smaller suppliers mm-hmm. that have to have almost had to say, okay, they, here, these are all of the barriers within the sector. Yeah. I don't have the money, I don't have the resources, I don't have the power to um, overcome these barriers. Mm-hmm. How do I circumvent them? Sure. And they are generally using innovative methods, mm-hmm. technologies, um, to actually get that. And in doing that, they're providing intrinsic value to so corporates. To the corporate.
0: And they're agile enough to do it quickly. Yes. So, so you know, the common... I'm going to call it a misconception because it sounds like it is. Is that for corporate um, doing business with small, small to medium S, uh, entrepreneurs or enterprises often says that you know you're going to compromise on quality, you're not going to get your your goods on time, and then often they're way overpriced. So I'm hearing that that's quite the opposite.
1: Yeah, it's totally untrue. Right? Yeah. Um, do you get those those supplies in the market? Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. Right? Um, but you find more innovative and disruptive supplies. Um, and it's just think about it from a principles point of view. Yeah. Why do small businesses even exist across the world? Mm. They have to be agile. They have to be innovative, uh, and disruptive in order for them to survive. And that's the value that they bring to corporates.
2: Yeah.
0: And and you know as a corporate, um, you can't yourself be agile, but you can get that through through the SMEs that you work with. Um. So. I want to but it's important for us to understand you've made a point around compliance, and it's no longer about compliance, but compliance has been an important key enabler yes. to, to to getting this right okay and so when it comes to um, the compliance element around it, you're seeing that through having this new mindset change and having a, a, a different view you're creating compliance um, or efficiencies in your compliance, but then you're creating financial efficiency through cash flow and savings, and then you're creating impact and inclusion through the initiatives or the the access to market that you're granting these SMEs. Because that's the crux of whether it's procurement or preferential procurement, it's creating access to market opportunities, right? 100%, yeah. Yeah. And so if we had to, you know, have a a forward-looking lens, um, like you said. what What is it, what can we do to improve access to market? Um, as, as corporate clients, what do we need to take into consideration?
1: Yeah, I, I think the first thing is, is to stop um, looking at things from a silo perspective. Yeah. Um, and to understand that the, the, the new norm is to have an integrated view. And I know I've been in corporate, we've all worked in corporates, we speak about these terms, but yeah. you still work within silos. Mm. The next layer of value within a corporate, leave the SMEs and and inclusion and access to market, the next layer for any corporate uh, of value is integration within their business alone. Mm. And so you need to have a a value lens when you're looking at that and understand that um, these pieces all work together. Mm -hmm. And when you can get them to work together in unison, that's when you can create the next level of value. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is that also, understanding corporates have certain structures, and you need to bring in the right partners to understand and have that same mindset, but more importantly, have methods, technologies, that can enable that to happen. So I would say those are the, the, the first thing. Mindset is super important on how you go about looking at this. Mm-hmm. And I would say, yes, compliance is important. It's brought you know, all of these things to fruition that we speak about. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it from a value perspective, let's look beyond BEE, mm-hmm. right? So that's South African legislation. Worldwide, there's a growing trend towards ESG, environmental, social, and governance. Mm -hmm. I would almost argue that BEE is a subset of that. Yeah. And what what the market is showing, and I'm sure you can provide more light to this, is that companies that have inculcated ESG Mm -hmm. within their organization and also filtered across their value chain become more valuable.
0: Absolutely, uh, and there's
1: research around that.
0: Yeah, and um, and those companies that do ESG well mm-hmm. and are public are listed and traded um, publicly actually have higher share values because they perceived t- to want to do better um, and and want to create sustainability in the environments in which they operate. So that's that's correct in, in saying. At the same time, you know, BE is a portion of ESG. It's enabling ESG in certain in certain industries as well.
1: Yeah. So to sort of like summarize that, I, I think think historically the premise for for big businesses was we need to do good business yeah Um, and a subset of that was we've got this thing compliant call Mm. compliance in all forms and and um, uh, within the business that we have to do it's Mm. it's just it's necessary so it's almost like a grudge purchase Mm. but the the perspective that now is changing is not do good business Mm. do business for good yeah and if you do business for good it completely changes it's not compliance anymore Yeah. Right. It's actually value adding. And I would say the biggest thing that needs to happen is the mindset shift within organizations Um, and to look at risk differently. Risk provides you an opportunity Mm -hmm. to get some of your. Business for good initiatives done through localization. Yeah. So it's protecting your business, but it's also increasing the value. Yeah. Um, and helping you with ESG targets.
2: And
0: and it's not as if you you're not deriving you know any value from it because it's been proven that companies who have made this you know the like you say the shift to to value creation and looking at procurement and 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 joining the dots between preferential procurement, um, enterprise and supply development, all the elements of compliance. When they've made that shift, they've Actually realized bigger value other than just having you know the right level to to uh, interact with or having the right BE level 100
2: percent
1: right? like I, I, and I know I'm, we talking about compliance but I'll always go back it, it needs to make sense in uh, a commercial perspective an yeah. ESGB perspective mm-hmm. and we always say in our organization talk is cheap money buys the whiskey yeah. so there are companies that are on this trend that are actually making um, that have, have, have a value chain perspective that are no longer just cost saving, right? Yeah. They're actually generating revenue. So when you combine ESG with VEE and you have a value chain perspective, mm-hmm. um, you're ahead of the game from a carbon footprint perspective. Mm-hmm. There's companies that have gone ahead, done all of these things, and their car- carbon footprint is close to zero or or zero, which enables them to sell their credits and make money out of it. Yeah. So these trends are taking place but you cannot have a conventional procurement view around Mm -hmm. it and you need to have a forward-looking procurement supply chain value chain perspective and bring compliance into all of those things when you do that you can create intrinsic value for Yourself as an organization, mm. but also help stimulate the economy.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, we, we've gone in a whirlwind uh, way around access to market, but sure. an access to market for SMEs. Um, but actually, we're saying it starts with, you know, the corporate South Africa or the biggest buyer or procurer yes. within our country, which is corporate South Africa. And from what I'm hearing you say is that essentially the main points to getting um, access to creating access to market from a corporate perspective is to firstly have a, a shared value perception about when it comes to procurement and then h- helping or using legislation like uh, preferential procurement in ED and SD to enable that um, instead of having compliance. But if we had to, if we had to take uh, the other view, and I'm sure you, you're, you're sitting in a, in a position that you're able to look at both sides, okay. but if we had to take the other view, what in your, in, your, in your opinion are some of the barriers that SMEs within South Africa face when it comes to access to market?
1: Okay, so I I think the first and obvious one that I mentioned is all of the compliance, right? Yeah. And we're talking about business compliance, but then also within your field, the technical compliance requirements that are there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, That's your ticket. That's your most basic ticket to the game. And what we find is a lot of small businesses don't have that. And why it's important is they need to recognize that from a procurement process, it's one of the first gates that we will put in any procurement process is: Do you have compliance in place?
2: Mm.
1: Um, and that would be the first barrier. So barrier number one. Um, barrier number two is the rest of the barriers I'm going to speak about are internal. That the SMEs, I would say, place on themselves or are not aware of mm-hmm. of it. And the second one is pricing. Yeah. So what we find and see is that SMEs are either out pricing themselves, either being like. You know 40 50 60 70 percent sometimes 300 percent higher
0: and than, you've seen this you've uh, seen, I've seen, seen it yeah, yeah. we've
1: seen uh, we can talk about this for days we've seen this happen yeah. so many times right so they do that the, the inverse also happens where SMEs underprice themselves yeah right and if I can put on my procurement hat for a, for a moment generally we when we make a decision we, we don't choose the highest but we also don't choose the cheapest always. So It's not only about price. Mm. We'll go for a medium in most cases because um, of how the evaluation criteria works within procurement. Mm. So the, the first thing I would say is pricing. SMEs just don't understand pricing and how to price themselves relative to the market.
0: And, and because they're competing with other big suppliers, mm. big businesses, they don't understand that, uh, the level of competitive pricing that they need to put forward. So mm. like you're saying, if it's too, if it's too high, they're getting, they're getting kicked out of the game. But if it's too low, there's a perception of, oh, I'm going to compromise on quality if I, if I go too low. But at the same time, your, your fellow bidders are big corporates who understand this game.
1: Yeah, And I'm, I can almost tell you, uh, for SMEs that are watching this, there'll be a group of SMEs that say, but you don't understand the industry I work within is volume based yeah right and so i can never price
2: yeah.
1: uh compete with them for on pricing they will always be cheaper 100 percent. that is true in mm-hmm. certain sectors um, then i would say then the next layer is you need to understand pricing first and then the next layer is how do you deliver value beyond the price point sure and that's how you can start competing because yeah. in a procurement process we don't only look at price
2: yeah
1: we look at pricing Functional, um, there's points awarded for functional specification, your understanding of the proposal yeah. and what's required. There's um, waiting as well for technical criteria. So you may have a new technology that's in place mm-hmm. that will outstrip uh, a conventional big big play in the market. Mm-hmm. So that's another area of value. BEE mm-hmm. and your BEE criteria is also another value. And we almost always, any good procurement practice will have allocated for value adds, okay right, that go beyond the scope of the work, Yeah. and those, so firstly you have to understand how pricing works, okay, so let's assume the SME understands, and then they might be dealing in a sector where you're dealing with, you know, monopolistic type of businesses yeah. where you can never compete with them on pricing. Yeah. There's other areas from an evaluation perspective that you can compete on, mm-hmm. and that would be my suggestion because then you move beyond price and you move mm-hmm. to value, and that's the first Thing that I think entrepreneurs don't pay enough attention to.
0: And, and are co- causing intrinsic barriers to them accessing the yeah. market. They're causing barriers to themselves. To themselves, right? Um,
1: the second thing I would say is um, a realization that uh, of the market that we're dealing with. And I'm going to speak about South Africa uh, specifically. If you're working with corporates or want to work with corporates or your business uh, offering is best suited towards corporates, uh, in South Africa, corporates are big ships and they take. A long time to turn. Mm-hmm. So what that means for your business is that their sales cycles are exceptionally long.
2: Sure.
1: Um, and yes, you can put initiatives in place to try and reduce the sales cycle. Yeah. But in general, corporate South Africa sales cycle is long. And so what we see end up happening is there's SMEs that will place all of their resources and focus on one corporate mm-hmm. and spend six to twelve months trying to get that corporate over the line. The problem is that what if the corporate says no?
0: Yeah, but also when they've landed the corporate, mm. you know, because you, you know the sales cycle, you know what it's taken you to get that client, you focus again, all your resources, all your effort, into uh, servicing this one client, which mm. often takes away time from for you to get other clients, you know, to, yeah. to run your sales process and sales cycle. So it comes back to your point around diversification is so important. Yeah,
1: so, th- so in sales, firstly, mm-hmm. they don't have an actual sales strategy or mm. view of how they can approach sales. Yeah. And so they just run after the biggest uh, fish that they can see at the, for that point in time. And you have to diver- diversify. So have a lot of lines in the water mm. and find a way to streamline your process where you're constantly checking up on each of these lines yeah. while, um, while working with an existing client.
0: But to carry on the, the fishing analogy, mm. you, you have to cast very strategically. Yes. Right. yeah it's strategic sales it's not it's not okay we we got this product we're just going to sell it we need to be very strategic about who we sell it to how we sell it to them
1: yes and and the reason for that is entrepreneurs or small businesses will always have a capacity constraint yeah and so you need to be very strategic in where you go about doing this mm. um, not every corporate is for you mm. uh, and so that means that you have to be you have to put a lot of thought into who's my ideal client On both sides, not just for you, but like, where is my product or service best suited? Mm -hmm. Where's the biggest pain? Oh, it sits in this corporate here. And this is what the type of um, avatar looks like from a corporate or uh, ideal ideal client perspective. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. You have to strategize, think about these things, and then have a view of, okay, we're only focusing on that. What it also requires, this is another constraint, is that... um, you often, you probably need to, as an entrepreneur, you were wired to say yes, mm-hmm. right? But you almost need to have the discipline to say no more, than, more often than you say yes. Yeah, Because you, you may take on a client that drains you of all of your resources, that puts you behind three to four years in your, your business journey. Yeah. So a discipline of saying no more often mm-hmm. than saying yes is is critical in doing that and i i feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are like yes 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 we'll we'll do it we'll do it we can do anything but it's going to hurt you in the long run but
0: then it speaks to um to pricing right you what helps you make that decision is also understanding the margins that you're probably going to make on this on this client and if it's worthwhile investing more time more energy that's going to take away from um from other things but actually going to result in a healthier margin um, most of the times clients who absorb most of your your resources and your time will eat into the margin that you have left over as as cash flow at the end of the month or mm. end of the year right
1: yeah with corporates there's always scope creep yeah. Right. and so you have to you have to build in build that in mm-hmm. um, but there's often times where we've uh we've made strategic decisions because of the importance of the client um to reinvest right okay. so we take the profits out of. Um, that specific project or client, and we reinvest it back into the client, and th- that's another point. Is I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't take consideration of feeding money back into the business. Yeah. Um, you look at Amazon, right? For ten years, all they did was took any profit and they put it back. So their balance sheet didn't look great because yeah. they were never making money, but they were investing into the future. I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about how do I take profits from my business and reinvest it into my client base reinvested into technology mm-hmm. so that i can continue to be quicker better faster in what i'm doing and yeah. have that that edge
0: so um, i know there's sme's watching out there is going to say yeah i hear all of that mm-hmm. Trevor and i do all of that but yet it's still doing business in corporate south africa is still about who you know and mm-hmm. and and what do you have to say about that
1: yeah so i i would say that there is truth in what they say. Yeah. um South Africa and Africa. So if you want to play in South Africa and the African market, it's very relational. Whereas in other countries, um, it's the smartest person, the person with the greatest tech Mm -hmm. um, or innovation often gets um, to open the door. So yes, South Africa and Africa in general is a relational type of um, culture. Mm -hmm. And so that is a reality. Um, and you need to understand that and also understand that the sales cycle takes a long time. Yeah. And so that, what that means then is those are things that are n- not going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're an entrepreneur and you want to play the short game, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah. You need to play the long game and think about how do I, if I know that these constraints exist within the market, mm-hmm. how do I start building and preparing now? Yeah. And that speaks to how you approach sales and your strategy around it. What we've done in the past is we've identified that businesses like doing business with other big established businesses. And we've gone and partnered with other big established businesses because they're already in the corporate supply chain.
2: Yeah. And
1: what we've identified is business A, which is a big business, uh, works within this, this vertical. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they offer value to their corp- corporate supply base in this manner we are actually our value offering is is a congruency to Mm this so they offer value in what they do we offer our value in what we do if we were to combine it we're offering intrinsic value to the client now they can't do what we do we can't do what they do we're not encroaching on each other's space and we spent a lot of time cultivating partnerships with businesses that play in the space that we play in Mm -hmm. that already have a foot into other corporates
2: yeah
1: so then it's it's you know someone that is trusted by the corporate that yes. is introducing you into them it's a much it shortens your cycle time yeah. um, and it also allows you to have many lines in the water at the same sure. time so the truth is yes it is like that it is a reality within south african business how do you now strategize around it to actually get value and one of the ways is to partnership mm-hmm. collaborating with other small businesses as well yeah um and but our guiding principle around that is There has to be congruency. I'm not going to go and partner with a business that does exactly what we do, because there will be problems. Uh, How do you find businesses Mm -hmm. that um, support what you do? And uh, when you add these two things or three things together, it creates a value solution um, beyond what any other organization individually could do.
0: And, and so what I'm hearing is, is there's an importance on understanding your pricing, there's importance to diversify your revenue, there's an importance on collaboration with other with other organizations that could help you get into the door um, faster or, or quicker. But there's also, we've just touched a lot on legislation earlier, mm. and we've spoken about different kinds of legislation and what have you. Is there a way outside of the relational aspect, outside of a pure RFP, that, um, that SMEs could look into yeah. um, when trying to get access to market
1: yeah it's it's um, it should be pretty obvious right if yeah. you're if you're a small business how do you l- leverage legislation right so corporates are incentivized um, to um, to conduct ESD initiatives yeah uh, a way of doing that without any partnership is to go into an ESD program why because the the partners that the corporate's working with on ESD programs has a trusted relationship with them their job is to build the capacity for mm-hmm. these SMMEs and they're building capacity
0: to get them through those gates. That to we get broke. them through. So it's okay.
1: designed. The, the programs are designed to help them um, move through all of those stage gates that work within procurement. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're learning as an entrepreneur. You're getting it for free.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, in most cases, uh, all you have to do is do investment in of time, yeah. but to build up your capability and understanding of the organization. And then you effectively, if they're going to be looking, mm. if a corporate is looking for new businesses, the first place they're going to go to is in the ESD initiatives that they've invested in, the businesses that they have invested in. Yeah. So it's an investment that will help you from a capability, potentially even give you access to funding, but then it brings you closer to a corporate that you have targeted. And you can leverage off the trusted partner Mm-hmm. Whoever the ESD uh, partner is for the corporate to actually build rapport with the corporate while you're learning.
0: But it, it also speaks to, earlier, you made the point around value, the value add. When yeah. you're adjudicating and when you're evaluating these SME, uh, the, the potential supplier, you're looking at value adds and what have you. But we're saying that actually what you could do is say that you're adding value on different levels, right? Um, you're adding value from a, firstly, you're, you're saying to, to the corporate that uh, this is my pricing, I, I'm good on pricing, but there's other elements where you're adding value. So through legislation... You could be one of them. Is that I'm on an enterprise and supply development program, and I'm, I'm adding value for you there. Yes. Um, but there probably are other other value adds that you could punt um, yeah. using legislation.
1: Yeah. So you could you could use ESG as an example. You might have a business that um, um, helps with water recycling, as as an example. Yeah. You need to incorporate that into your value proposition. But
0: you have to understand what their ESG goals are. So it takes deeper research. So it
1: takes deeper research. One of the benefits of being in an ESD program is that you're almost getting indirect insight Mm. into how what is the culture of this organization, what is important for them, what are their pain points. Yeah. And you could then Structure or use legislation to enable you to create more value within your organization. So,
0: there's definitely that element around ED, SD, ESG, um, but there's also value around preferential procurement, right? Yeah, that, you, that you could put forward.
1: 100%. So, I think the first premise, remember we spoke about pricing, yeah. is you've got to be competitive pricing wise, yeah. technical, functional, yeah. um, and then, but as a cherry on the top, mm. as another value add, um, most SMEs don't understand how preferential procurement works yeah so in a nutshell it is a scorecard that sits within the be legislation Mm -hmm. that rewards corporates for doing business with small small businesses and small black businesses yeah right so as an example if you're a white-owned business that is under 10 million okay from a preferential procurement uh, perspective um, you're adding value to them on two buckets within the scorecard on EME mm-hmm. as well as they all spend. Mm-hmm. So, um, to give you a practical example of that, let's take a majority black owned business
2: yeah.
1: that is under 10 million. For every one Rand that a corporate spends with them, the corporate gets 1.35 Rands in preferential procurement, mm-hmm. right? First level. But because they're uh, an EME yeah. under 10 million and they're black owned, and they hit the old spend bucket. I'm getting too technical now, yeah. right? But effectively, the scorecards, uh, preferential procurement scorecard has got um, five buckets. Um, but with you being of that caliber, you're black owned and you're under 10 million. Yeah. You're effectively saying to them, on a preferential procurement scorecard perspective, Every rand you spend on me, you're getting 1.35 rand plus 1.35 rand yeah. plus 1.35 Depending rand. Depending on the
0: buckets that you're hitting. Depending right?
1: on the buckets that you're hitting. So you're adding immense value from a compliance perspective,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that should be incorporated in your proposal.
0: Yeah, and and so, I mean, many many SMEs don't, don't know that or don't understand it, but also it's about how you articulate it. But it's important that we stress that that is just like you said, a cherry on the top. You're first doing everything you can and everything that's possible to align to the criteria in the other buckets, which is the pricing and, and, and what have you. And then this here is an added value um, that you're showing uh, the, the people adjudicating the, the, the bid. So um, I mean, Trev, you've been on this journey of entrepreneurship yourself. Um, <coughs> so any, as we close and as, as we wrap, any parting shots for the entrepreneurs that are watching?
1: if you're not in entrepreneurship don't do it <laughs> it's it's a tough road it's a very um it's very difficult i would say the one thing that's uh kept me going is to have a a purpose beyond the, the business beyond myself etc so w- what i would guard against if you're an entrepreneur and you're in it for money
2: yeah
1: it's not sustainable it becomes very difficult you may make may make a lot of money um but it's not sustainable yeah And so what's helped me is to have a mission and a purpose uh, for myself, for our business that goes beyond anyone in our organization. Um, And that's what excites me. So it's gotta be something that you're passionate about, I found for me, and something that um, is gonna leave a mark beyond uh, your business uh, and looking towards how you're helping other people. That's been my North Star and From the successful entrepreneurs that I've engaged with, um, I found that to be very similar. You have to have something that is beyond yourself, have a north star that is looking to create a legacy uh, outside of your business and that will hold you in good stead for all of the storms to come.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us at home or wherever you're watching from. Remember to join the conversation in the comments below. Follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where we will be releasing a new episode every two weeks. Or subscribe to the Edge Growth YouTube channel to catch the conversation.